0: Okay, hello everybody. Today is Monday, another Zodiac Monday. Welcome to the show. Now, I do have a couple of announcements to begin with. However, before I do any of that, I would just like to say that this is an anniversary memorial tribute episode and it is going to be done um in remembrance of the victims who were lost at the Tate-LaBianca murders as well as the other victims of the Manson family. So, before we say anything about the Manson-Zodiac connection, I would like to say rest in peace to Sharon Tate, Abigail Folger, J. C. Sebring, Wojtek Frakowski, Stephen Parent, as well as, of course, Lino and Rosemary LaBianca. Today is actually the anniversary of the LaBianca murders, as well as us um, to Gary Hinman and Shorty Shea. Yesterday I had some time, so I sat down and I finally watched the documentary J. C. Sebring Cutting to the Truth. And he, it was done by his nephew, and he wanted to say that his uncle, J. Sebring, is often referred to as just one of the other victims. And last year, around this time, I did a, two episodes, actually. It's a two-part thing on the murder of Sharon Tate. Part of the reason for that was the namesake came from something from Lawrence Schiller, the author, but really that it's zoning in on Sharon Tate, and he noticed that the media coverage around the, um, Tate LaBianca Murders, is just that. It focuses on Sharon Tate. They're often referred to as the Sharon Tate Murders. And he saw in many news articles that his uncle, Jay Sebring, was just listed as one of the other victims. Actress Sharon Tate and four others murdered. So he wanted to tell the story of Jay Sebring, who was somewhat of a pioneer in men's hairdressing. He became the hairdresser to the stars, working with people like Warren Beatty, uh, Frank Sinatra, numerous individuals. And um, then he also um, would—well, actually, if you do watch that documentary, though, uh, J.C. Cutting to the Truth, it uh, features numerous cameos from people in the Hollywood elite circles, everybody from Dennis Hopper to Quentin Tarantino. And then uh, it's definitely worth a watch and to learn a little bit more about um, how the media coverage went after Charles Manson and so on. But a big rest in peace to all the victims, and at the end of that film, J.C. Bring Cutting to the Truth, they put up a card up there that listed all the names of the Manson family victims, which I just uh, listed. However, they also said, and this film is also dedicated to any victim of violent crime, so I thought that was very respectful. Now, I did say there were some announcements to begin with, and the first is that you can download this show for free at launchpad One. Anybody can go over there and um, download the audio as a pure podcast, take it on the go anywhere and anyhow. There's a link to that in the description box, Launchpad 1, under the same name, Black Box Online Radio. You can also visit the Amazon page for the novel Killer on a White Horse by me, Ned DeHaan. And I will say something about that, because it's actually relevant to today's episode. And then... There is also a an ongoing series about the Long Island serial killer available on this channel, and the next episode will be coming out tomorrow. I mean, it's a it's it's an enormous mystery. The Long Island serial killer is one that is confusing. It's not clear what has happened. I I really needed three episodes just on the death of Shannon Gilbert, who is a possible Long Island serial killer victim, and I don't think I've even scratched the surface with her. But um, the next episode that will be coming out tomorrow, to anybody who's listening to this live, will be on a different Long Island serial killer victim, and her name is Jessica Taylor. So please look out for that. And as always, you can like and subscribe. But I should also drop the announcement that, on Thursday, there will be the regularly scheduled episode on the disappearance of Donna Lass. Because that was the intention for that one. Every Thursday for the summer, for the next couple weeks, maybe next several months, just going to see where that goes. I wanted to do one episode a week on the disappearance of Donna Lass from 1970 in near state line, Nevada, near South Lake Tahoe, California. Lots of things to share about her. So there's a lot happening on this channel. And I hope that you guys can all follow along with these discussions and join me. So the next thing I would like to announce is that I participated in a live stream on the Professor Dad channel, which is hosted by Thomas Henry Horan, and of course he was there, as well as Drew Beeson. The three of us did the show together, and that is called Riverside PD, Base Had to Die Letter Was a Hoax. And we were just talking about the Zodiac Killer, uh, the Sherry Jo Bates letters, of course, and just everything under the sun. No, it was a really uh, good... Live stream to be a participant of. I hope you guys like listening to it. One more time, that is on the Professor Dad channel. And in the future, we might be adding some more participants to those uh, live streams, such as Evan from Texas, perhaps Manny Grossman. However, it appears that there is a disagreement between Thomas Henry Horne and Manny Grossman. Manny Grossman is, of course, the, the guy who makes those excellent walking tours of the Son of Sam sites where um showing where the victims would have been, like the way that the killer would have walked, the way that the victims would have approached the uh, crime scenes. He has a lot of uh, good videos on his channel um, about that. But somebody, um, well, I mean, did I say somebody? Thomas Henry Horne is so somebody accused um, Manny Grossman of plagiarizing a little bit, saying that the majority of what he says comes from the Stones Unturned podcast, or that he's very clearly um, reinterpreting Thomas Henry Horan's comments on the Stones Unturned and then putting them out on his own channel. But uh, Manny Grossman replied in the comments section to say very clearly that he's only watched like a little bit of the Stones Unturned, and he isn't even that familiar with Thomas Horan, and he didn't take too kindly to being called a plagiarist. So, um, I hope that those guys can bury the hatchet, because it'd be great to do a live stream with all of them to just talk about something that they do have in common, and that is, I think that the uh, confusion would be that they both support the ultimate evil from Maury Terry. They both get into that a lot, which is that there is a link between the Son of Sam murders that took place in the later part of the 1970s, and the... Tate LaBianca murders that occurred in 1969. And this episode is coming out on August 9th, which is actually the anniversary of the LaBianca murders. Big rest in peace one more time to Lino and Rosemary LaBianca. Now, what Thomas Henry Horan did was he took things a step further and he said that it's not only a link between the Son of Sam slayings and the Charles Manson activity that took place in August of 69, it's also a third link is among them, and that is the Zodiac Killer. And I think that uh, Thomas Henry Horn even still tries to connect the murder of Arliss Perry to all of this, but how oh, it is important. DNA linked the murder of Arliss Perry to a perpetrator named Stephen Crawford, who was a security guard, the guard who actually found her body, and then he went on to commit suicide, and this was all decades later on, but... Um, As far as this type of uh, three-way link among the Zodiac Killer, the Manson family, and the Son of Sam, I think that that's the stuff that I'd really like to talk about today. The Manson-Zodiac connection, in terms of a namesake, comes from an episode that was put out on the Zodiac Killer channel. It's in the title card there, but it, the Zodiac-Manson connection, written that way, is the subject of... um a book by Howard Davis, which looks more at his Zodiac killer suspect, Bruce Davis, who was Charles Manson's right-hand man. One of them, actually, the other two, of course, were Tex Watson, who is perhaps more famous, and then Paul Watkins as well, who is um, not more famous, but he definitely wanted to be. With this type of Zodiac-Manson connection, Howard Davis also had something that is quite similar to the stuff from Thomas Horan and that is that he viewed Charles Manson as a more integral part of the true crime scene in California, of the criminal activities of California. Now, Howard Davis can correct me if I'm wrong, but he not only accuses Bruce Davis of being the Zodiac killer, he accuses Charles Manson of being the mastermind behind the Zodiac murders. And I think that this is somewhat of an uphill battle, And before I say anything why, Howard Davis once wrote into the channel saying that he was willing to do an interview with me to share everything about the Zodiac Manson connections at the record straight, and I said, okay, I would love to, and I never heard back. I even wrote in to his website, and I sent him an email, and the email got sent back. It said it couldn't be delivered. Well, Howard Davis, if uh, you ever uh, get this episode... um. Ah uh, you're always welcome to talk to me and just to share everything about the zodiac Manson connection. I would love to um set the record straight on anything or just get your take on everything like any time all right. But, as I said, it's an uphill battle to say that Charles Manson was the architect of these Zodiac crimes, because, firstly, a series of murders took place in 1968 and 69, Lake Herman Road December 20th, culminating with the Paul Stein murder on October 11th of 1969. Now, the motivation for Charles Manson is something that is unclear to this day, but also, also, Charles Manson is portrayed in the media as being a criminal mastermind, but there was somebody who wrote a book about that, trying to debunk that exact subject. About nine or ten years ago, I would watch, I watched a lot of Charles Manson interviews and video clips and so on, the interclips, as I like to call them, interview clips, and one of them was from a guy who was writing a book on that exact subject trying to debunk the concept that Charles Manson is a mastermind of anything. And the thesis of his book is that Charles Manson was too incompetent to um do such a thing. And that's the famous line when Charles says, Nothing wrong with being incompetent. There's less you gotta worry about. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is, the guy who was writing that book, I think it was his soulmate. I really tried to find the interclip, but the best I could do was when I was Googling stuff, I found the, the name Philip Phillips and a book called The Manson Myth. It may have been that one. I couldn't find the exact interview clip, but they asked him very clearly in that interview, why did you write that book? And you could just see like somebody's true colors coming to light. And he's, he's almost like, what should I say? I'm doing this because, um, well, I want money and I want to, uh, well, I mean, this bag of cash landed in my lap, and I didn't want to say no, but he's like, uh, 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 well, it's to prove that Charles Manson is not a mastermind of anything, and this is very important because not only do people not accept completely that Charles Manson was the mastermind of the Zodiac Killer murders, I don't accept that, and as as I said, I mean, Bruce Davis has the Zodiac Killer and Charles Manson masterminded the whole thing. They also do not accept that Charles Manson was the mastermind of the Tate LaBianca murders. And the reason for that is, it's the same reason, incompetence. They think that he wasn't necessarily someone who is this type of master, persuader, charismatic cult leader. Dr. Todd Grande actually said that of Charles Manson. He wasn't even a charismatic individual at all. He was just very confident. Those were the exact terms. Not charismatic, but very confident. And Charles Manson had his own host of psychological issues. He was a born psychopath, which um, I talked about in the episode The Neuroscience of Serial Killers, when I um, interviewed a neuroscientist about just that exact subject. And she's like, Charles Manson, Like um, after he passed away, they learned his neurotransmitters were just functioning completely backwards. And also, Charles Manson was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic in 1963. I shouldn't say that. He was diagnosed as a schizophrenic in 1963. I'm not sure what level or what kind, but then if you look at Manson's role in the Tate LaBianca murders, people are not completely certain that he was the architect, that it's his ambition, and this is something that I wanted to do on the channel. I wanted to do a big expose in comparison between Brian Davis, who hosts the Tate LaBianca radio program, and Thomas Henry Horne, who hosts the Stones Unturned, because I wanted to share all of the points where they agreed and disagreed. However, I mentioned some of this in a True Crime Talk radio episode once because Brian Davis is not a fan of Thomas Henry and He calls him Professor Ass McKidney Stone. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of funny. but also kind of not. So um, it turns out that they're in bitter disagreement. But the thing is that they shared one commonality. They both met in the middle. They're using completely different theories that they met. In the middle, and that is that they actually thought that Tex Watson was the mastermind of the Tate-LaBianca murders, or even in the sense that Tex Watson was just out of control. Charles Manson may have been some type of persuasive cult leader, but he couldn't control Tex Watson because, um, of everything Texas that has said about him has been true, then he lost control of his mental faculties because his brain was fried on drugs, particularly after a time when he was tripping on Belladonna, as well as just Tex is the one who has connections to other groups, whether it's the drug trade people that he met when he was working at the airline or the Church of Scientology. Tex Watson refutes all of this in his book, Will You Die For Me, by the way, saying that, yes, he was under the spell of Charles Manson, but also that, um like... These uh, connections that Tex Watson quote-unquote has are not really meant to be anything other than he went to the Church of Scientology and he almost fell asleep. It was just like a very boring meeting that was held in somebody's house. But at the same time, there it is. There lies the connection. And the reason why Thomas Horne brought this up on his show, The Stones Unturned, that Tex Watson is actually the guiding force behind the Tate LaBianca murders, is because of a particular line from the transcripts where Charles Manson tells the girls, the quote-unquote Manson family women, go with Tex, do whatever Tex says. And he's like, that doesn't sound like Charles Manson is in control. That sounds like Charles Manson is only in control of the girls, of the women like Susan Atkins and Patricia Krenwinkle, and then later on Leslie Van Houten, as well, of course, Linda Kasabian. He's in control of the women, and he's telling them, to go with Tex, to do Texas illegal operation. And so many people think that it was a drug deal gone wrong. And they even talk about this a little bit in the documentary, Jay Sebring, Cutting to the Truth, that Jay Sebring was the hairdresser to the stars, right? But he had an enormous amount of debts, and they even brought up an audio clip from Roman Polanski saying that I went to my dentist, and it's the same dentist who saw Jay Sebring. And he said that Jay Sebring owes me $5,400 dollars, J.C. Ring had an enormous amount of financial trouble. Well, one way to get that was, I guess, drug money using somebody like Wojtek Frakowski. and there are so many theories about why the Tate-LaBianca murders happened, and some people simply cannot accept that there's, this was a horrible and vicious tragedy, that somebody like Charles Manson just wanted to be a recording artist, and as Stephen K., who appears in the documentary Cutting to the Truth, also shared about this, he said um, his take on the subject was that Charles Manson didn't want to live around this herpes-infested community known as the Spawn Ranch. He wanted something bigger. He wanted a lifestyle similar to Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys, and when he realized that it wasn't going to happen for him, he wanted to get revenge on the media establishment, and I've also played the interview clip a couple times when Charles Manson says that Lino LaBianca had to die because of a black phone book that contained all the names and numbers of people in the music business. So that was the motivation for the LaBianca murders that happened the night after the Sharon Tate murders. And I mean, I'm only referring to that as, maybe we'd call it the Cielo Drive murders. Like many people think that the house on Cielo Drive where Sharon Tate was murdered, as well as JC Ring, Abigail Folder, Voitek, and Stephen Perrin, that um they knew Terry Melcher didn't live there. Terry Melcher was the producer that quote unquote cheated Manson out of his record um career, like his recording career, I should say. They they knew he didn't live there. Charles Manson openly said in the interview with Ron Reagan, Jr., that he didn't know that Sharon Tate was going to be in that house. It was about sending a message to well, the, the world, the media establishment. It was just about getting revenge in some way. Because um, that's the more conventional narrative, that he didn't get to be a recording star, so he wanted to do something very vicious in response. And by telling other people like Tex Watson, Susan Atkins, and Patricia Krenwinkel to commit the Cielo Drive murders, then he wouldn't be blamed for it. But um, Charles Manson was definitely present for the LaBianca murders. And Brian Davis, the host of the Tate LaBianca radio program, will also um, just say that even at that time, though, he says something completely to the contrary, that Charles Manson is not the mastermind of that, because if anything, it shows that, once again, Tex Watson is the person who is calling the shots there, and that he he murdered Lino and Rosemary LaBianca, or he had them he participated in their murders, we should say. There are other people there like Patricia Crenwinkle and Leslie Van Houten. They participated in those murders because they wanted to cover up the actions that had been done the night before. All Charles Manson wanted was money. The same thing old J. Sebring wanted was money. And that um that maybe you could say not a drug deal gone wrong, but a uh, robbery, burglary attempt gone wrong and so on. Lots of people have their theories about the Tate-LaBianca murders and why they were committed, but I think that there is this great desire to to try and read between the lines with that particular case. I think it was classic Chevy Cat who wrote in the comments section, why do people have this fascination with the Tate-LaBianca murders? And part of me has to go back to some of the things that I talked about in the episode, the psychology of conspiracy theories. Some people simply cannot accept that bad things happen. Some people simply cannot accept that tragedies occur, and they always think that there has to be this underlying motive. And this wouldn't be so much like Howard Davis saying that Charles Manson is the mastermind of the Zodiac crimes. I don't think that he would fall into that category. Instead, I think it would be more about the people who um, just cannot accept that Charles Manson had people in the Cielo Drive house murdered because he was angry, or that he was bitter and he had a lot of resentment and that he wanted to um, send a message to the media establishment. I really do think it could be beyond Terry Melcher, but there I go. I'm just already starting to speculate. And But the reason why people are so fascinated with the Tate LaBianca murders is they want to know the answer to the question why. Brian Davis openly said this on the Tate LaBianca radio program. He's like, the reason why he does the show is to find out why we know who committed the crimes, we know how the crimes were committed. I don't accept the theory at all that they were uh, programmed killbots from MK Ultra, or that um other people committed the crimes and then the Manson family all have false memories because of CIA brainwashing. I'll accept it when I have the proof. When you play the skeptical card, you can accept it when you have the proof. But looking at um some other uh. Things about the Zodiac Killer and the Zodiac-Manson connection. Now, Bruce Davis has been accused by Howard Davis of being the Zodiac Killer. Bill Nelson also talked a lot about this. But one point that I did hear on the Tate LaBianca radio program in an interview with Howard Davis is that he states that the Zodiac communication from 1974, known as the Exorcist Letter, is an authentic Zodiac correspondence. Most people believe that it is authentic, but you gotta think, his suspect, Bruce Davis, well, where is he? He's in jail. He was convicted with the rest of the Manson family, and he was sentenced to life in prison. Of course, the death penalty at first, then the death penalty was taken out of California. All the sentences were commuted to life in prison. Bruce Davis was in prison in 1974. So, yeah, that's the theory. He wrote the 1974 exorcist letter from... I guess, his prison cell or something like that, and he sent it through the prison mail, and um, that's almost just bordering on the territory of too weird for me to tackle. I mean, I think that that would just be horribly unlikely. And as I understand, prison correspondences can be somewhat monitored in some way, some shape, or how. I mean, I think it's borderline nonsensical to say that Bruce Davis wrote any Zodiac communications from prison and was sending them to uh, the newspaper saying, if you don't print this, I'm going to do something nasty. And um, yeah, let's also throw in some Mikado references while I'm rotting in prison or something. Yeah, and if I don't see this note in your paper, you'll do, I'll do something nasty, which you know I'm capable of. You're not going to do anything if you're in prison other than cause a prison riot, which I doubt the San Francisco Chronicle would have cared about at all. So that's a strike against him. Another point that I heard uh, Howard Davis say in an interview, I also highly recommend the interview he did with uh, Planet X Filmworks. That's just um, some other places. But um, he said that in 1966, Bruce Davis was living in Riverside, California, and he was working as a pipe fitter. Now, this is interesting because... Bruce Davis wrote an open rebuttal to being the Zodiac killer. Some guy named Caleb sent him in a couple pages of these uh, Zodiac theory claims when they're trying to connect Bruce Davis to these Zodiac crimes. And that was one that he very clearly pointed out, that he has um, never lived in Riverside, and he has also never been a pipe fitter. I mean, there are lots of things that they accuse him of in those letters, not only being the Zodiac Killer, being a pipe fitter, being a longshoreman. He's like, I've never been a pipe fitter, I've never been a longshoreman. And um, one line in that uh, rebuttal that Bruce Davis wrote talked about how he is currently pursuing a doctorate in engineering in prison, and his response was, is that rocket science or nuclear I think you can get the idea, and um, I think Bruce Davis was trying to show that people are just making up some theories about him. And I will agree with one point from Howard Davis. Even though we seem to disagree very much about the Zodiac Killer mystery, he has put forward this um, observation, really, he has shared this observation that Bruce Davis was perhaps the smartest member of the Manson family. I could agree with that. He comes across as very gentle, very cunning. If you listen to his BBC um, interview that he did, he just puts on like the East Tennessee charm and such. Oh yeah, the um Scientology, um the process. I uh, don't really know what that is. Now, I think that Bruce Davis is much more intelligent than he pretends to be. I also think that um he played a much more integral role with some of those organizations, Scientology, the Process Church, and this could relate to his time that he spent in England, Continental Europe, and possibly North Africa in 1968 and 69. So, if you go back to an episode I have on this channel, it's called Zodiac Killer Bruce Davis Theories. You can hear um, the more extended uh, discussion of Bruce Davis's written rebuttal to being the Zodiac Killer, there is an episode called Zodiac Killer Bruce Davis. Bruce McGregor Davis, not Bruce McGuire. Excuse me. But there's an episode that's done in, like, the old-fashioned black box recording. It's still available on this channel called Zodiac Killer Bruce Davis. I don't think that one's really that good. I mean, to be honest, I think it'd be better to um, listen to the one Zodiac Killer Bruce Davis theories, and you can hear more about that. Now, at this time, though, I would like to... um. Discuss something that was mentioned in the documentary, J.C. Brain Cutting to the Truth, and that is that lots of people have made money off of Charles Manson. Lots of people have profited from his image, or that um, they make movies about him. There's so many movies out there that have been about Charles Manson, and I've reviewed a couple of them, whether it's Charlie Says or Helter Skelter. Maybe you're even thinking of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's why uh, Quentin Tarantino was in that film, by the way. Now, is that ethical? Is that a moral thing to do? Because they didn't only say the Charles Manson biopics. They also called out all the people who write what they call Charles Manson ripoffs. And I've said numerous times on the channel that I wrote that novel, Killer on a White Horse, inspired by the Zodiac-Manson connection and it's not a direct recreation, of course, but that's just it, and um, as someone who has done what they called a Charles Manson ripoff, I would have to respond by saying, number one, those things are quite different because it doesn't feature anything directly associated with Charles Manson, and the second thing is, characters like that are often portrayed in a negative light, saying, this is bad, even if you do watch Helter Skelter or Charlie Says, is he the hero? I know that there's this type of um, marketing ploy that people are watching that because they want to see some guy dressed up as Charles Manson acting like Charles Manson. They think that he is a... um, Well, some guy that they like to gawk at. If we're not going to say that he's a charismatic individual. But he's not portrayed as the hero. Absolutely not. And I think that perhaps it would be just to call out those musicians and, um, people who are wearing Charles Manson t-shirts and so on, but, um, maybe that is a way of in- inappropriately glorifying or romanticizing the actions of Charles Manson, but, um, even one of my favorite songs was from Mushroomhead, it was called Womp and it had this line there, if it was up to me, I'd free Charles Manson, and I never liked saying that, like, if I were, you know, just kind of humming along as I was lis- listening to it, I just wouldn't say that line because he was a murderer, or he had other people commit the crimes for him. And even if those theories are true, that Tex Watson, the one of his right-hand men, was actually the architect of the Tate-LaBianca murders, or he was the guy that was, just went out of control during the Tate-LaBianca murders, even if that is true, Then, Charles Manson was still an active participant. He's definitely at the crime scene on the night of the LaBianca murders. He is also, I mean, if these things are true from the transcripts, yeah, go with uh, text, do whatever text says. Well, that's definitely acting as a co-conspirator, accomplice, all of those things. I mean, you might not get charged with first-degree murder for that, but you'll definitely be sent to prison. And Charles Manson was. But at this time, though, I would just like to ask you guys the challenge question. Do you believe that Charles Manson was a criminal mastermind, or do you think that he is just the person that the media zones in on because he had a ridiculous personality? I do mean that ridiculous. It's ridiculousness. But Charles Manson said very clearly in an interview once that the reason why people talk to him and he just gets up and starts dancing is because... He's always doing something different. Every interview, he'll just do something different. And they um would zone in on that. So what do you have to say about Bruce Davis as a Zodiac killer suspect? But I would much more like to hear your response to the challenge question. What do you think of Charles Manson being the mastermind of the Zodiac crimes? And you can look up for the book The Zodiac-Manson Connection by Bruce Davis, as well as the book Manson by Bill Nelson. And um, visiting some of these other channels, Professor Dad, The Stones Unturned, Manny Grossman's channel, there's the documentary, uh, J.C. bring Cutting to the Truth, is on YouTube Movies for free. I don't know how long it's going to stay there. And you can go back through some of the old black box recordings. I have numerous things about Bruce Davis, as well as about um, Charles Manson. And um, I do hope you'll listen to that episode, Zodiac Killer Bruce Davis Theories. But I also have my story of Charles Manson, in which I elaborate on how uh charles manson um was using those types of persuasion tactics i would also invite you to listen to that one and there are other lots of things available on this channel okay so that's all for me now and one more time you can download the show for free at launchpad one and anybody can write the show at blackbox online radio at aol.com and you can also follow me on facebook black box online radio my personal facebook is in the description box and you can visit the uh, teespring page if you want i just didn't want to talk too much about that today but there's the Amazon page in there as well for the book Killer on a White Horse by me. And then, um, one last thing though. At this time, though, we can just say one more rest in peace to the victims. No matter what happened, no matter what theory anybody has drug deal gone wrong, it was a party that got out of control, or it was a gross calculated effort, or it's somebody who is frustrated about not getting a recording contract. Rest in peace to all the victims. Um, Sharon Tate. Abigail Folger, Wojtek Frakowski, Stephen Parent, as well as Lino, Rosemary, LaBianca, Jay Sebring, Shorty Shea, Gary Hinman, and um, I really think it was a very respectful thing they did in the documentary Cutting to the Truth, and to all other victims of violent crime. um, Big rest in peace to them. So that's all for me now. See you on Instagram for the bonus podcast. Until next time.